Alright, uh, just want to start by saying hi, my name is Murphy Williams, uh, and this past quarter I've been taking a course called Critical Race and Racism, taught by Professor Vilna Bashi Treitler. Uh, the class analyzes racism and oppositions to racism throughout history and in the modern day, um, and as well analyzes some theoretical frameworks for understanding the social construction of race and the current like racial hierarchy in the U.S. In this episode, I plan to discuss a more specific form of racism, which is anti-blackness and its prominence within popular media. My hope for listeners is that they'll be able to recognize anti-black themes in the media they consume and actively work against some of the trends in representation we see today. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, overall, I think this episode will be useful to anyone who wants to be a more discerning consumer. And with that, uh, this is Let's Think This Through. Now, before I get into anti-blackness in media, um, I think it would be useful for me to talk about uh, what anti-blackness is, or at least how it has become such a, a prominent feature of racism. Uh, and to do that, I have to start with um, the racial hierarchy in the United States. Now, uh, the racial hierarchy is more of um, like a, a social cultural trend than a straight up hierarchy. You know, you can't go outside and, you know, ask people, hey, do you know about the racial hierarchy? Do you understand, you know, who's at the top, who's at the bottom? Because most people probably would not be able to answer that question. Um, but the racial hierarchy is. It's essentially a descriptive tool for uh, the various, you know, circumstances surrounding different racial groups in the United States and how they overall have been treated um, for their race. Um, so, you know, naturally you have the white majority at the top and you have, you know, a mix of other ethnicities, you know, making up the, the rest of the thing and then the, the bottom of the you know, totem pole of races has consistently been black people, uh, at least in the United States. Um, now, let's talk about uh, Irish and Italian Americans because they are a pretty interesting example of what I'm going to explain anti-blackness has been used for. Um, so Irish and Italian Americans used to be considered basically black people. They, they weren't, you know, African races, but uh, they, they were not considered white. They were considered essentially mongrels, um, and they, they did a lot of the same work as black people. Uh, you know, post-slavery, blacks did not have very much opportunity for economic advancement outside of, you know, manual, uh, low-wage jobs. <clears throat> which were some of the same ones available to a lot of immigrants to America, namely Irish and Italian Americans. Um, and originally these groups got along very well, uh, you know, working alongside each other, living alongside each other. And then over time we see these two groups adopt very anti-black views and sensibilities in alignment with the white majority at the time. Now, today, 
uh, Italian Americans and Irish Americans are, are white. You ask any Italian or Irish American, you see, hey, what race do you identify as? They they would say they identify as white, and they'd probably even think you're dumb for asking the question. Um, but you know, again, 100, 200 years ago, that's a very, very, very valid question to ask, um, and it, it's not limited to, you know, modern white races either. This was a, a tactic used in a lot of different ethnic groups in order to sort of, you know, raise their lot in the racial hierarchy, but very consistently relied on the demonization and uh, abandonment of the very same black people that they worked alongside and lived alongside of. Um, So that's anti-blackness. And now anti-blackness in media, it's, at least nowadays, um, far more subtle. Um, But in the early days of I will say more like like popular mass media. Um, we have, well, it, I, I would be doing myself a disservice by not just talking about Birth of a Nation now. So Birth of a Nation, film released in 1915. Um, I'm not going to get into the content because, it, it one, it's a movie that's over three hours long, and two, it is almost exclusively just a heroic story for the Ku Klux Klan. Um, anyway, uh, there are very few black characters in the film, and even fewer of those characters are actually played by black people, and none of them are positive depictions of black people. Um, the, most of the characters are just white people doing blackface, um, and, and all of them are various uh, negative tropes or uh, caricatures of black people. You have you know, black people being lazy. They're unintelligent, uneducated. They they don't um, participate in the economy. You know they're poor, gross, dirty, just generally unclean people. Um, and and it's the premise of the film. But you know the clan or the heroes and who are they protecting America from? The types of people who would destroy America. And one of the groups who would destroy America are black people allowed to go and do whatever they want. Um, now this would be, you know, it's 1915. What do you, what do you expect? Of course, it's going to be a little racist, but the fact of the matter is this was at the time, I believe the most successful film ever made and then the biggest film production, uh, at that point in time. And it was controversial. You know, a lot of people were like, Hey, I don't, I don't think this is a great thing to be putting on the big screen, but it it did very well, extremely well. Uh, and it didn't exactly improve the nation's view of African-Americans, surprisingly. Um, and the issue then becomes even more clear when we look at, you know, approaching the modern day more what we would consider or hope to consider factually based media, um, like news broadcasts. And you think, well, you know, it's the news. How can the news be racist? It's just telling us what's happening. Um, But it all comes down to how does the news, you know, frame things. And, And we see 
um, in a lot of broadcasts uh, during the you know height of the war on drugs, you know between the '60s and '80s, uh, there was a, a very big push to label the the people that were waging this war on drugs against as super criminals or well, super predators. Um, and these super predators, one anchor in the documentary 13, um, that that's largely about this topic, uh, is quoted as saying that super predators are people who are godless, jobless, and fatherless. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I know exactly what kind of, uh, demographic racially that is trying to point to and, and paint as a super predator. And it, we even see that it, the, the language used, super predator, it, it evokes like a specifically inhuman, bestial uh, descriptor for black people. And that is exactly what they were pushing for. And surprise, surprise, black people were disproportionately targeted by this war on drugs. Um, even today, uh, we, we there's example after example of, you know, black person is in uh, the news for whatever reason, more often than not, uh, being unjustly targeted by police or even killed because of that. And it, it seems that the images for the individuals who are, who are victims of, of police brutality they're, they're always very clearly designed to like negatively portray this person. It's supposed to give us um, a, an idea, quote unquote, of who they are, but it's never a good idea. I, I remember uh, when I first found out about the Botham John shooting, man who was shot in his own apartment by his white female police officer neighbor who mistakenly entered his apartment thinking it was hers and shot him to death. Uh, the first picture I saw of him might as well have been a mug shot. It, it was not flattering. He did not look, you know, like a, a normal, you know, kind, well-adjusted person. He, he just looked like any other African-American they would try to tell you committed some sort of crime on the news. And even worse, there were news stories pushing uh, a narrative that, well, after he was he died and w was murdered, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, they found, you know, weed in his apartment. And, and a big uh, talking point was that, oh, well, he wasn't this innocent guy because, you know, he had weed in his apartment. He could have been a drug dealer. And it, it was just remarkable seeing that people would rather push this narrative and stick to it that, you know, black people are inherently criminalistic uh, instead of take a, just even a brief step back and acknowledge that this person is a victim and that that's completely separate from anything else. Like first and foremost, they are a victim of a crime. And these are, you know, popular news stations like Fox News posting stories trying to justify a homicide because of anti-blackness. Um, and I, I'm going to get into why it, these anti-black depictions can become so very much problematic. Yeah.
Now, the reason why I, I even focusing on anti-blackness in media is, you know, it's one thing for media to just present a, a clear bias, but media, you know, it, it doesn't just exist and then get consumed and, and that's it. it. It influences the things people, you know, think and how they behave or, you know, not as in I, I watch a movie and suddenly I want to go and do the things seen in that movie. Um, it, it's way more subtle than that, but at the same time, it, it can be just as harmful in the long run when it's, you know, just movie after movie, TV show after TV show. Um, there's a scene in the new uh, second season of this TV show called The Boys um, where we see uh, just a regular person, um, you know, a regular guy who's waking up every day listening to essentially Alex Jones. And on the news that his parents watch, he uh, sees all these stories about negative things happening. Um, and he, over time, you, you just see him consume different forms of media that are all saying very violent, bigoted things. And he's not shown to be a violent or bigoted person uh, at first. And then just there's a scene where he is in a store and is suddenly very, very antagonistic towards a person who looks different than he does because he suspects that person is uh, the type of you know criminal that's been talked about in all the, the media he's been consuming. And he goes on to take that person's life. Um, now, I'm not saying real life is anything that extreme, um, but it just, it struck me as a very, very uh, kind of scary example of what existing in uh, a world dominated by media and not being able to consciously consume and, and deconstruct what it is you're consuming, uh, what it can do to people. Um, and that's something that we see. Um, there were well, two different studies um, that I found that were discussing, you know, among many other things, the fact that negative depictions of African Americans, it, one, they are seen as negative by black people more than white people. So, you know, if there's a black character in a film and it is depicted negatively, a black person is more likely to say, hey, that is a negative depiction of a black person than a white person who might just say that is, I see nothing wrong with this depiction. So a black person is saying, hey, this is harmful uh, to my identity. This is misrepresenting me, whereas a white person would see no issue. Um, and I would say that that in and of itself is an issue. Um, and, and the second, uh, second study, both of which I will uh, link in the notes, uh, shows that there is a, a clear link, a causal link between um, the media and how people view different groups. So when you know, the, the media is portraying African-Americans or you know, black males specifically as violent, the public itself then starts gradually uh, adopting the opinion that black people or black males are violent, um, which one very unfortunate too, it, it's a real thing. And I don't think we really do ourselves any favors in not acknowledging that. Um, 
and it also brings to light uh, the importance of really curtailing this trend early on because the, it, every day you, you see uh, more and more media being pushed that, that portrays people negatively. And nowadays we see this mostly with uh, user-made content rather than, you know, mass-produced entertainment. Uh, you know, YouTube, Twitter, uh, it, right now especially TikTok. Um, as, you know, damaging as, uh, like a big budget, you know, film displaying, you know, black people as criminalistic and things like that can be, it is even more uh, damning to have, you know, thousands, if not millions of people on the internet spreading misinformation that is just as uh, damaging or representations that are just as harmful because we're really sort of, we, we can't look to that and, and then put a stop to it. It's not a big company. It is just groups of people um, who we cannot hold accountable in the same way. Uh, and even worse, these people are specifically targeting younger, more impressionable you know, internet users uh, who probably have not been taught to consume media more thoughtfully, um, who then just go on to adopt these views. Uh... All right, so what we went over essentially is just what anti-blackness is um, and how it's functioned historically um, and how that function has sort of evolved to match uh, how things work in the modern day. You know, like media is not just you go to a place and watch a movie or, you know, sit and watch the same news channels as everyone else. It, it's now it's a very personal, um, very accessible thing for all ages. Um, so in the same way we see anti-blackness in media also transform into something that is, um, very permeable and very popular and very easy to consume. Uh, I would encourage you to check out the, the links I have, um, in the show notes. Uh, I've got both studies, um, the book I reference uh, to, you know, get the definition for anti-blackness, uh, and 13th, the Netflix documentary, which is also on YouTube. Um, and I know that this seems like, like a super depressing topic. Like at, at best it's informative. Um, at worst it's, you know, very, very bleak. Um, but there are a lot of very interesting <clears throat> uh, topics in this class that I, I just would not have had enough time to cover. I would need several, several seasons of podcasts in order to even touch on half of the things I'd want to. Um, but I, I luckily for you have a ton of other classmates who have done just as much, if not more work 
uh, into their podcast episodes than I have, and I can guarantee at least half of them are much better uh, speakers than I am. I think my most common word is um. Well, uh, yeah.